this week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe. We're talking Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman. I'm here too. Wait a minute. I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is running late. He should be here soon, but he'll, he'll be joining us soon enough. But anyway, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 394. 394. I know. We're, we're that much closer to 400. Abe and I have made no plans whatsoever for what we're going to do for episode 400. But hey, it's coming, so we'll see what happens. And uh, on this week's show, we are talking The Gentleman, the latest film from Guy Ritchie. Uh, yeah, which should be a lot of fun to talk about. But we have plenty of other things to do, and joining us to do all those other things and talk about The Gentleman, we have from Old Magic Gaming, the Nothing's On podcast, and the Walking Dead TV podcast, among other places, we have the ever dapper Jim Dietz. Gee, I hope Abe's not locked in a trunk of a car somewhere. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or being pushed off a building or something. I mean, this movie, I mean, you got to watch out. I mean, I was going to say, Stranger Things have happened. So, you know, we'll. <laughs> yeah, well. You, you guys, you guys do lead active lifestyles. It's true. That's yeah, especially Abe. Um, Jim, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm swell. Good. My daughter, my daughter is learning fractions. I'm trying to help her. Yeah, well, you just got to find the common denominator. And so does she now. <laughs> <laughs> now so does she. No, but good to have you back on. Always good to have you on a show proper. I know we like to get the commentaries with you, but uh, you know, good to have you on a regular episode as well. It's a pleasure. For sure. And. Um, yeah, let's see. Let's get to some uh, let's get to some show notes real quick before we get underway with the the rest of the episode. First up, um, iTunes reviews and ratings. It is good to get those. It helps out our show. Helps other people find our show. Log on to iTunes, search for out now there and Abe. Write us a little review. That'd be great. We just got one recently. It'd be cool to get some more. You know, roll into 2020 feeling pretty fresh with uh, good positive vibes. Uh, but yeah, so any any help there <laughs> would be uh, would be wonderful. Thank you in advance. Uh, let's see what else. I mentioned this 400th episode that's coming up. We're going to do something. I, <laughs> we, we'll have a plan, and there should be some cool things to do, uh, whether it involves our guests or look back at things or some kind of really cool contest, which should probably be discussed also. But, uh, yeah. So, so Well, the thing is, it's like, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the episodes proper are 400. Like, yes. if you add on, like, your extra episodes, commentaries, Etc. It'd probably be well over that. Oh yeah, we're well over like probably. 600 episodes in terms of like easily. published yeah, audio easily. that we've put on iTunes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I was just gonna say, everybody. I mean, it's astonishing how much output you guys really you, know, you do. I mean, we've been doing a commentary for every month since I think like 2015 at that point. So that's <laughs> that's at least like 60 episodes right there of commentary tracks. So. Right, right. <laughs> But um, yeah, we we uh, we like to push out the content for sure. But we also have a, for whatever reason, strict numerical ordering of these regular episodes that we've adhered to, and that's what we acknowledge in terms of the, you know, the leaderboards when it comes to podcasting. I guess it's the leaderboards. <laughs> Are there leaderboards? Yeah. Wow, I, I, this is the first I've heard of it. No, oh, nothing's on. Does it go to the uh, the podcast grandmaster and have to officially chart some of the episodes? Well, if I did, I wouldn't be able to talk about it on this show. Yeah, that that's true. <laughs> As we clink our special rings together and move on from this topic, <laughs> it's a, it's a cold day for pontooning. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, iTunes ratings ratings help us out there. 
ideas that we could have for our 400th episode is this best of the decade thing that we've I've brought up before. Uh, it is a new decade, and Abe and I have kind of discussed the concept of talking about our best of the decade, uh, as in 20, 2010 to 2019. I actually have a list that I'm working on and will be publishing hopefully this week. Um, so maybe maybe that will be that that could be a fun a fun idea for our 400th episode. Um, but yeah. Sounds pretty pretty daunting task. It certainly is. <laughs> I'll let you. I'll tell you. Uh, good thing we're on 394, which means we have at least six weeks if we were to pursue something like that. Uh, what else? Speaking of commentary tracks, our Bad Boys commentary is up. We did that one for the month of January. It was a lot of fun to do and good timing because of the surprisingly pretty good Bad Boys for Life. Um, but yeah, and uh, February will come along. We'll have something new for you guys then as well. What else? Dad's Movie Corner. My dad has been seeing lots of movies lately, so I'll just give a quick update on that. Ad Astra, he thought was really good. Uh, Clemency, he thought was also really good, with Alfred Woodard particularly spotlighting her there. Uh, Marriage Story, he thought was... He liked the performances. He was a little down on the mood, mm-hmm. but he liked the performances a lot. Uh, Ford mm-hmm. vs. Ferrari, he loved. He thought that was excellent. He was like, that's just a great movie. Good Damon and Bale nailing it. So he was, he was really... Really happy with Ford vs. Ferrari. And Judy, he fell asleep halfway through. So that's the update <laughs> <laughs> from Dad's Movie Corner as far as... That's uh, great. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else here? I think that's it for show notes. So let's move on. Let's get to some... Uh, let's, get, uh, let's get to some know everybody. We're each week we ask each other a quest or two. Try to set the tone over the podcast. I better get to know everybody. All right. Jim, let's say you have unlimited budget what have you what kind of suit would you wear like let's say you're going to some kind of event or you just like to wear a suit because who doesn't like to wear a suit when they want to look good what what's the preferred mm-hmm. suit style you're going for uh some, something maybe uh just you know like a classic tuxedo cup but maybe with a different color like maybe a plum with a black or something mm-hmm. like that uh-huh. nothing too flashy Rock just something that little, little, I, i've often noticed i mean it doesn't matter you know how the suit uh, you know how expensive it is, but it's usually how well it fits and how well it's tailored. That's where you really can tell a fine suit. So that's where I'd really like pay attention. But, you rock, you rocking a vest or a cummerbund? Probably just like a, yeah, maybe oh, it's definitely the, a, a purple velvet vest. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and the black uh, black jacket over with the the you know the plum lapels, perhaps. Yeah, hmm. yeah. kind of a, a post Prince thing. Yeah, uh, post Prince, uh, like that. It's good. I like putting some color in the suits. I got this nice blue suit I've been wearing recently that that works pretty well for me. Um, so I think something something along those lines, and then you know, if in the unlimited budget realm, yeah, properly tailored, of course, and since you know some nice material, but yeah, a pretty, like a, a straightforward blue suit with maybe a nice shirt underneath. Whatever works well with Anna, honestly, and that's really what matters. So yeah, coordination is important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. We'll see if we can call back to this when Abe finally gets on, but that's how you play for now. No, everybody. Let's move on now. <laughs> let's get to let's get to because I really I need to know what Abe would what kind of suit he'd be rocking. Like he, yeah. he's a, he's a pretty straightforward white t-shirt jeans kind of guy. So when he actually has to dress up, I'm curious what that's gonna be. <laughs> but uh, he anyway. surprise you, you know, chainmail tuxedo or something. Tra- like exactly. Yeah. yeah. Practical, comfortable, and stylish. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk all about this when we get to the gentleman, because there's some very nice people, nice, dre- nicely dressed people in this movie. So. There are. But, uh, I, I really, uh, I really like that, that. I like that kind of. I, mean, I, know, I don't want to get off on too much of tangent, but that kind of onesie that that Colin Farrell was rocking. Oh yeah, with the plaid onesie. The plaid, yeah. I'm just like, 
I gotta get one of those. That's great. I would sleep in that all the time. It looks so comfortable. He's just walking around with that in his hat, you know, like, well, yeah, going down to place a bet, you know. And you're wondering, like, it's why great. is he wearing that? And then you find that, like, the rest of his, like, boys also wear similar attire. Yes. Like, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's get to some out now quickies. TM. Each weekend out now we have one movie to talk about with those weekly week out now quickies. TM. Whoa. <laughs> uh huh. Sped that one up. All right, let's get to it. Jim, what other movies have you seen recently? Well, I just watched uh, What Did Jack Do, the uh, David Lynch short film. Oh, where, I saw this too. Where he in- interrogates a capuchin monkey for mm-hmm. about a half hour. <laughs> uh, that's probably the last thing I watched. Are you Are you a Lynch uh, guy? I, I like him in in I, I like some of his movies more than others. I can, I like him as a person as a personality. He's hilarious and uh, always funny to talk listen to and kind of he's kind of like Werner Werner Herzog. He's kind of grown into a caricature of himself over the years. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought this was was kind of cute in a Lynchian way. You know, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it. I did not. I, it I did pop- not regret watching it. <laughs> it popped up on Netflix because it was his birthday this past week and. It- I guess he like he made this like a couple years ago and it hit some festivals, but now it's just like Netflix just had access to it and put it up, and it's like, yeah, yeah it's just him as like a hard boiled detective interrogating a monkey, and I didn't know where I I saw that was like the, that was literally like the description on the thing, right? It just says like an investigator interrogates yeah. a monkey. It's like, well, what's yeah, that so it's all be? Us. <laughs> and then when I see like how the monkey's responding, I was like. I don't know what I was expecting to see, but that's that certainly feels like a Lynch movie. <laughs> when I heard it was actually Lynch doing the interrogating, I was all in. I'm like, oh, I have to see. Oh yeah, this now. he's a great screen presence. Like he del- he knows yeah. how to deliver, like in his own unique it's way. Great. What was that? Well, what was that movie? I saw a movie uh, a couple years ago that I really liked. With it was the last movie from um from uh, Harry Dean Stanton. What was what's that one? Lucky, Lucky, Lucky. Yeah, which was really good. But Lynch has like a he's a supporting character in that movie, and he's 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 really good at it. Like everyone's, it's a it's just a good character comedy all around. But like Lynch pops up, it's like it's nice just to have him as like a utility player in movies. Just like yeah, let's get David Lynch in here. It's just soft. I, I it, it was a weird synchronicity because like I think just a couple of days before that came out, I didn't even know it was coming out till it did. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd seen like a, a short vid, a video documentary where they'd interviewed uh, Laura Dern. Uh, Patricia Arquette and Naomi Watts uh, about working with David Lynch because I think I think those, he said Laura Dern said those are the only three women he'd given uh, nicknames to like Laura Dern's nickname was Tidbit and Patricia Arquette was Solid Gold and Naomi was like Naomi no no <laughs> uh-huh. and he would be and there the best part of the video is worth looking up it's on the uh, the site for um on the YouTube site for W Magazine. Each of these ladies do their own David Lynch impersonation in, the, in telling of stories about him. You know, with the cigarette. And, ah, it's just very, it's hilarious That's to see funny. them each do their take on Lynch. And then two days later, this popped up. So, um, what else have you seen my, uh, recently? Uh, well, my my uh, wife and daughter and uh, I and her friends all watched uh, Troop Zero on Amazon Original. Oh, okay. uh, Amazon Prime, uh, Allison Janney and uh, um, Viola Davis. Uh, Viola Davis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Jim Gaffigan. It was it was by the numbers and very cute and heartfelt, and the kids liked it. It actually kept their interest, which I was cool about, and that was cool for me because sometimes it's hard to get them hooked into a movie, but once they are, you know, they're locked in. So they all enjoyed it. It was it was you know it was about what you would expect from watching the trailer. 
Sure. Um, and and I watched King Cohen, the uh, documentary about Larry Cohen, uh, the movie producer and director, who did all kinds of crazy stuff on the streets of New York in the 70s and 80s. Um, director of Black Caesar and It's Alive, mm-hmm. and uh, the Armando Santi version of I the Jury, and he was also a a writer in the early days of television, like the uh, the like Playhouse 90 and movie theater uh, days when they did like original you know dramas on you know live on television he wrote a lot of those too so really interesting documentary and there are a lot of really famous people in it uh, uh scorsese is in it and uh jj uh, abrams is in it and uh, joe dante um a bunch, a bunch of uh like interesting people talking about why larry cohen is interesting and you know why his career was so incredible and i definitely recommend it it's on amazon prime but Very cool. that's all i've watched that's all i've watched lately all right Armand Desante. Armand Desante. He was Larry Cohen in the documentary. He says that he wants to, uh, he wanted to uh, re- like launch Mike Hammer into a series like James Bond mm-hmm. uh, back in the eighties when James Bond was kind of on a low ebb during the you know, Timothy Dalton days or whatever. And he had never met Ar- Armand Desante. And I guess they were like oil and water the whole thing and then the uh the people that put up the money like fired him halfway through and put in another director to finish it and he ended up getting like a director's cut years later but it didn't matter because it was still like a crap movie and it was, it, it, it was just full of these great old school you know uh, guerrilla movie tactic stories uh from the 70s and 80s and uh all the way into the 90s yeah, so. very cool yeah it was awesome again it's on amazon prime documentary called king cohen I have seen a few things I wanted to mention. I, I wonder, you haven't seen Color Out of Space yet? Oh, I did. You did? Yes. Yes, I did. I did. Oh, what do you think of Color? Okay, let me talk about Color because I was, I was hoping you had, because okay. I know you were excited about it. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. But I, so I, I, yeah, I've seen Color Out of Space. I think I might have mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it, fi- it finally came out. Um, it, it's uh, Nicolas Cage starring in a, an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft short story. Um, right. It takes Richard Stanley directing. Richard Stanley directing, coming off of years of <laughs> he was psycho he, he was yeah he was, he was he was famously fired off of the Island of Doctor Moreau, the 1990s version, and um, kind of been between his personality and just like the way Hollywood works, he's been he's been out of it beyond like some documentary stuff here and there. This is like his first feature since the, making that the, doc, the documentary of making that dr moreau movie is incredible it's fascinating. I really really yeah. it really is like it's up there with um with hearts of darkness it's like one of the best documentaries ever made about movies it's just mm-hmm. it's incredible no wonder he went like insane for sure yeah. but so he has he's directed this movie now which is a lovecraft story featuring nicholas cage what can go wrong the answer is nothing because it's great it's a really it's really cool uh colorado space um it's this family they're living out in the countryside nick cage is trying to raise alpacas and be a great farmer because why not and some kind of like meteorite arrives in their area it starts polluting the water the plant life like starts to prosper but the animals start going nuts and then slowly the family kind of starts disintegrating i guess is the best way to put it without kind of getting into specifics um i really like this movie i thought it was it was very compelling the the work to combine like special effects as far as practical effects and visual effects i thought was pretty outstanding for given the budget yeah. kind of movie this is and lovecraft stuff like i'm not i can't say like i'm the i'm, I'm the you know i know a ton about lovecraft stories but like of the adaptations of his work that i've seen like 
the best ones really know how to capture the kind of the atmosphere and the character. And I think of something like Reanimator, right. um, or uh, In the Mouth of Madness, um, right, right. ones. So this one I like because it takes it takes its time. Like it really lets you get with those characters and really understand what's going on and sets a mood, a mood of dread. But there's certainly a mood before it really starts going all out with the gore stuff. But Jim, what you what you think of Color Out of Space? I uh, I thought it was very visually creative in the way it expressed it like expressed like that that alien presence, that otherness, you know, the use of the color and the lighting, mm-hmm. um, just very, very well thought out. Um, uh, I just was, I, 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 I echo your sentiment. It was much better than I expected it to be. I mean, I was, I guess I went in with some, some hopes because of, you know, like I said, Richard Stanley's return and Nicholas Cage, you know, and all this other stuff. But, um, yeah, it was it was better than it had any right to be. I just I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, as far as like you know, I, I agree when when um, when Lovecraft is is like adapted more loosely is when we get better movies. Yeah. From that from that kind of thing, if it, if they try to adhere too closely to the letter of those stories, they tend to lose the point a lot of the times. Yeah. So yeah. It's, um, the, it's the mood that you got to get down. Yes, exactly. And like he's often has, described as unfilmable, which I can understand based off what I. Right. Because I've, I've read a, I've read some short story stuff just to be like, what what makes it unfilmable? Because I'm very curious about this. Like, okay, I yeah. see. Because it's right. it could be a lot to try to do as a movie. <laughs> right. Like and I, then, I can understand what, I can understand why a studio's hesitant to give Guillermo del Toro like a hundred million dollars to make a, a Lovecraft movie. It's like, yeah, I, I'd want to see that, but I can also understand why you'd be like, I don't know about this. I get the hesitance. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, the. Uh... Adhering to the spirit rather than to the letter of the page, of the page, I think is the best way to go. And it, this has that kind of dread, that the kind of uh, cosmic uh-huh. uh, dread and horror in spades. I really, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. It's a good way to start off my year. Cool. Um, Between this and the movie, we're going to talk about later, anyway. For sure. Uh, I've seen a few other things. I'll make note of. First is uh, or another one is the wave. Um, this is a this is a neat little movie. It stars Justin Long. Among others, uh, Donald Faison is also in here. Justin Long plays an insurance lawyer who basically goes on like a, a, an, un, an unexpected bender the night before he has like a big promotion coming up where he has to like, give like a big presentation, and he gets he's given a hallucinogen that kind of upsets his entire world, and it goes from there. But what I kept thinking of when thinking of this movie was. Uh, was the movie was it last year? Um, Under the Silver Lake with Andrew Garfield and Southland Tales, as far as these kind of mm. weirded, weird out, weirded out L.A. Odyssey films. The difference is the wave is like an hour shorter than both of those movies because they're both very long. <laughs> um, oh it, yeah, it's not nearly as well, not nearly, but I mean, it's it. Those movies I think are more ambitious, I suppose, but they the, these they all have this kind of world bending. Speaking of world bending with color out of space, but they all have this kind of world bending take on reality, where you have a character that's mm-hmm. kind of plopped into L.A., unsure of himself and what's going on around him, and the filmmaking kind of takes weird twists and turns as far as what his reality is presenting to him. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I, I, apparently, I'm just into these weird L.A. Odyssey movies, uh, because I, but I did like... Oh, it's movie. funny, because mm-hmm, yeah. the one you're... I'm sorry, the one you're describing, uh, it kind of reminds me of a trailer I saw not too long ago for a movie called Bliss. Okay. Where the, uh, a woman uh, gets like this controlled substance or whatever, mm-hmm. and she keeps like her her reality keeps changing 
as the like it, at first she's very creative and has all this energy and is her best living her best life and then slowly like things it becomes like a horror movie it's beginning very good reviews but it's kind of what you're saying like reality bending kind of la odyssey kind of uh movie yeah so. it's a weird kind of way to set it up but it like it, it ends up working just because of the wavelength that it seems to be on if you get with it i think it's, it's actually pretty successful i think justin long is very good in the movie i like justin long in general i think he can be mm-hmm. both funny but also he knows how to like he knows how to play an everyman in the same way that like i don't know luke wilson or paul rudd could play like everyman um mm-hmm. so it it works to the film's advantage i i got a screener copy of this so i was like i wanted to check it out because i know a friend of the show jason coleman he gave it like five stars last year and so i was like all right well let's see what this is and you yeah, know it, it was pretty good so i enjoyed that cool uh, i also saw greed this is the new film from uh from director michael winterbottom with um steve coogan um they've both worked together many times specifically on the trip films which are very hilarious and very popular um but also separately they've they've worked to get or separate from rob Brydon, although he's in the other movies regardless they've worked on uh, 24 hour party people a film that i am a huge fan of as well as tristan shandy mm-hmm. this is their latest like collaboration together outside of the trip series which they are making another one of which i'm also very excited about oh um, great yeah, the trip to greece i believe love I those yeah I, they, as long as they comp- keep comparing michael Caine imitations <laughs> exactly i'm in <laughs> yeah. well, this time around uh, coogan plays this kind of he's a billionaire fashion mogul who's had, who um he's had a lot of like successes by basically bankrupting companies but still like gaining all the monetary value anyway and he's just kind of he's like half-heartedly failed his way to the top and so now he's a billionaire he's about to celebrate his 60th birthday and the movie is very clever in how it it presents like what's going on to lead up to the 60th birthday party he wants to throw on a greek island and it mixes that with this kind of fictional backstory about this man who like came up pulled himself up by his bootstraps and started just making money despite being a terrible person uh, i thought it was quite funny uh it's a it's a satire it, it really preys on you know things going on today or what have you and i think it, ha- it has some very clear messaging that it basically beats you over the head with i'm not gonna say it's great in that realm but in terms of just letting steve coogan and company just be you know very funny together it does the job i was i, I was happy with uh what i got to see here because i generally like watching coogan and winterbottom about movies together so yeah it worked out um so yeah there's that one um let's see Sounds great yeah um Let's see. Here's some Anna's movies thoughts. Uh, we watched oh. we watched All Monsters Attack this weekend. This is one of the Godzilla films, generally regarded as one of the worst Godzilla movies. Oh. Anna's declared this her favorite Godzilla movie she's seen. Uh, she had a lot of fun with this. Whoa. I can't say that I hated it. I've I've I hadn't seen it in a long time, but watching this one, it's like, well, I get what they're doing. <laughs> they, they, uh, they they're reusing a lot of footage but they tell this like funny story involving a little boy who doesn't want to be bullied anymore um and it's it's one of the goofiest of godzilla movies but i can't say it's unwatchable by any means it's very watchable it has a lot of goofy stuff going on and so as far as the entertainment value goes there's there's a lot to there's a lot to have fun with in the realm of godzilla uh we also watch i'm, trying to, say, I'm yeah. trying to think i'm trying to think what's the absolute worst godzilla movie is um <laughs> would it be smog monster no oh no smog monster is great i love smog monster um yeah the um i didn't i'm because I, I, I have that criterion set i've been watching all of them yeah but, yeah um i wasn't i'm not a big fan of abira the sea monster just like the giant lobster 
Yeah, that whole like uh, heist side story or whatever is just kind of boring. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not it's not great, and like the <laughs> the monster action in it's not particularly great either. So it's just kind of like a rough watch. Space Godzilla is okay. <laughs> it's, got, <laughs> it's got great production design. <laughs> I really like. That's not the Showa era either, but it, um, Godzilla's rever- or like Godzilla's returns, the the 80s Godzilla, the one that like kicks off the Heisei era. That one's. It's not very fun to watch. It has a great Godzilla design in it, but it's not like a. It's not a super fun movie to like to dig into. It's kind of a kind of a drag. It's one of the few where. Since America re-edits most of the, or was re-editing most of the Godzilla movies, it's one of the few where the re-edit actually plays better because you get to kind of cut out some of the clunkier stuff in that movie. Um, but yeah, there 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 are worse movies than all Attack, <laughs> that's for sure. But I can't say it, it was it was certainly very enjoyable to watch, and because it's the Blu-ray, it looked the best I certainly had seen it in some time. <laughs> like it, uh, I there we. Um, yeah, you know, it it's it looks much better than I think anyone's seen it in a long time. So you know, another great thing about the Criterion Collection, instead of Godzilla movies, you can at least watch all of them looking pretty pristine. Let's see. Last thing I want to talk about the short documentaries. Last week I mentioned that Anna and I watched the the live action and animated short films up for Oscars. We watched the short documentary features up for Oscars this weekend, and this is another strong set of movies. Like I have ones that stand out for me, but I was really impressed with it. Like. You know, I think I mentioned this last week. Normally, like you watch the shorts, and there's there's like there's, there's tends to be like a, one or two clear cut winners, and one that like sticks out as like, well, why is that in here? This like I can't mm-hmm. say there was like a you know a, a weak you know part of the bunch in all of this. Like, they're all like really strong. There's one that focuses on the sinking of this Korean ferry um, that happened. That was a really tragic story, and the the way it's put together, I thought was really interesting. Um, there's there's one about um, these uh, girls in Afghanistan who are being taught to learn. It's called learning to skateboard in a war zone if you're a girl. And so it follows this this uh, this, this group that's uh, in Cabal that's put together a program to teach children and girls how to skateboard um, wow. in, in an effort to kind of get them away from the harsh realities of what it is to you know be female in some of these societies and just and learn to kind of have confidence in a different kind of way specifically through skateboarding in this in this uh, instance, which I thought was really fascinating. One's called Life Overtakes Me. It's about these children that are falling into comas and sweet, these refugee children that are falling into comas. It's really sad and upsetting. There's one called Walk, Run, Cha-Cha, about these uh, Vietnamese people that uh, basically just, they've come together through dance. And uh, the last one is a St. Louis Superman about a, 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 a battle rapper who's become a, not only an activist, but a representative for St. Louis who wants to get a bill passed that will help change his community. There's just a lot of like really good movies here, and some of them are uplifting, some of them are tragic, but I was just really impressed with the, the crop of short films that made their way. That feels like more than just campaigning, but actual like effort to make like get good movies in here. So yeah, I was impressed. So yeah. That's great. Yeah. So were they available like uh, they available for you to watch like in a theater, or you watch them at home? Or? This is a good question. I had press screeners, but they will be made available to the public uh, this Friday, the 31st. They will be in around 500 oh. screens. You can find the uh, the short the shorts uh, in like their own program. Oh. Where you can watch all of them, all of them in theaters, and I'd encourage it nice. because I do think the shorts are certainly worth watching. You get a lot of really creative and ambitious talent out there. So it's uh, yeah. If you can if you can find the short films playing in a theater near you, go see them. Go support the shorts. All right, that's enough quickies. 
Damn, let's move on now. Let's get to uh, let's get to our trailer talk, where we talk about one of the newest Ooh. movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. Uh, this week we're talking about Free Guy. This is the upcoming, I guess, video game action comedy from director Sean Levy. It stars Ryan Reynolds as an NPC, a non-playable character who, I guess, realizes he self-actualizes. And, yeah. Um, and he becomes uh, aware. Yeah, he beca- <laughs> he defies his coding and starts making choices on his own within the realm of video game. Uh, yeah, you have Ryan Reynolds as the guy. Uh, you have uh, Killing Eve's Jodie Comer in here, uh, Stranger Things Joe Keery, uh, Taika Waititi's Taika, in here for some reason. We'll see. But uh, Jim, you're a gamer. What would you think of this trailer? It reminded me very much of the premise of uh, Wreck-It Ralph when he didn't want to wreck things anymore. Uh-huh. Like this guy doesn't want to be an NPC anymore. You know, I mean, he's, be, he's like become, um, I don't know, it's, it's Ryan, Ryan Reynolds' charm. I mean, how much can you bank on it? anymore i mean on one hand you get you know detective pikachu where he was rel- rel- relatively uh a benign and positive part of that movie you know with the voice acting and his whole thing at the end spoiler but then you got some stuff like six underground where um he's kind of weird on war on me after a while <laughs> so um so I don't, I, you know this could go either way i think the premise is is uh executed well enough in the tra- in the trailer you know um, but you know, whether they go beyond that, who knows, you know, actually tell a story. I'm right there with you. Uh, Abe is very aware that like my Ryan Reynolds intake is mixed. Like I, him as just the comedy guy can used to be more grating. I'm more acceptable of him now. And I think he, in his prime, he can really, you know, deliver on just being a likable presence and making the quips and everything. Um, this specific premise is intriguing. Like you said, the Wreck-It Ralph thing certainly came to mind, but live action takes on video gaming is a, that's a fun thing. Like I think, cause I, I really liked Ready Player One, for example. I think there's a lot you can do in this kind of world. I guess I just, I hope that the premise has something going on that really helps it all stick together as opposed to just being yeah. a series of gags, which it easily could be. You have uh, Sean Levy's the director who mainly does like family comedy stuff which is, you know, it's fine. It's just, it's nothing that's particularly amazing. Uh, but that said, Abe and I are big fans of Real Steel, which he directed uh, back in the first year we started doing this show. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> he also he also directed, uh, you know, episodes of Stranger Things. That's, and, yep, uh, very, yeah, he's involved in the United show. The music, United Museum uh, movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like, yeah. I, yeah, it's not a knock necessarily on Sean Levy. It's just like, okay, I, I there's a level of expectation that comes with something like that. And it's also written by Zach Penn, um, who's he's done yeah. so he's, he's done a good movie and, um, and, and he's done yeah, he's been involved in, yeah he wasn't he did write one uh was involved in one good movie you're right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i i i'd like to think that the premise could work to the best of the abilities of these people involved but we'll see what happens visually it looks interesting as far as okay yeah. what if we brought like grand theft auto and Fortnite and whatever else so live, I mean, we mentioned Wreck-It Ralph, and that's animated. So like, okay, let's see a full-on live-action take of that. But again, Ready Player One's like, well, Spielberg did the epitome of video gaming in live-action. So I don't know, I don't know what Sean Levy's going to uh, deliver in that mm. respect. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. The, I, I just see it probably leaning more on the comedy and the action and the, you know, the, you know trying to recreate a you know, digital space like uh, Spielberg did. You know, mm. so. But yeah. Like I said, we'll see you know, how far they get with the promise. 
For sure. Well, Free Guy arrives in theaters uh, July 4th weekend. July 3rd is when it hits theaters. So, uh, oh. yeah, it will be a big release, I suppose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of Free Guy, but it's just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> They're doing it. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's just... You know, it's, I don't, like I said, you know, you made, you make a good point, you know, when, when, you know, Ryan Reynolds is like leaned upon to just be Mr. Quip guy, it doesn't work as well as when he's actually like propelling a story along, like in Deadpool or, you know, yeah. there, there's a plot here that doesn't matter as much, but at least the story has some, you know, uh, inertia going with it, you know what I mean? Rather than, you know, Six Underground, where it's just him in a car yelling, yeah, you know, <laughs> yelling clips at people, you know. The and first half hour. So. The other thing is, this is, I mean, it's an original movie, so like, I want, I want it to be good for the sake of yes. an original blockbuster, potential Agreed. blockbuster, like being good at inspiring more original blockbusters. Um, so, yeah, like this, and this is like, it was from Fox, and then Disney got them, and they still were like, yeah, let's keep going with this. So I'm like, okay, Disney sees something in this, so let's see that, let's see that work out. Let's let's see that be and, good. I mean, and as a fan of like both movies and video games, I would like to see you know more decent video game movies. Yeah, that'd be nice. That, I, I mean, yeah, I, we've only had a handful, really, if you think about it. We've had, I mean, of as far as movies based specifically on video games, I'd say we've been we've doing been doing pretty okay in the realm of non-video game based movies that are yes. feel like video games. About video games. <laughs> yeah. You got Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. Now you got uh, hopefully free guy. You know, so we'll see. Yeah. So we'll but then again. Then when you you know go out of the way to license uh, the property, you should get pixels. So don't <laughs> don't hurt me. Don't hurt me with this pixel stock. So much potential. <laughs> All right, that's that's our trailer talk. Let's move on now. Let's get to let's get to our main review for the gentleman. I want you to play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh please. No. I said play a game with me, Raymond. Right. Lovely. I want you to imagine a character. Your boss, Mickey Pearson. You're too smart to be blackmailing us, Fletcher. Yeah. Sweet Mary Jane is my vice. Your poison, on the other hand, is and always has been the destroyer of worlds. You're out of touch, and I would like you to consider an offer. I am not for sale. The plot begins to thicken. Now, I can't be specific about the heroes and zeros, but our protagonist is a hungry animal. <laughs> there is a lot of money hanging in the balance. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for The Gentleman. Uh, Guy Ritchie arrived on the scene back in the late 90s with a couple of gangster films, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which also introduced us to Jason Statham, and the even flashier Snatch, with a more star-studded cast including more Jason Statham. Uh, this past decade, <laughs> this past decade, we've seen him put his efforts into franchise films, such as the Sherlock Holmes films and Aladdin, along with some misfires, such as King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. In an effort to, in an attempt to get back to where he started, we now have The Gentleman, an ensemble British crime flick, which digs into the story of various drug dealers, gangsters, and other dangerous characters all connected to one another. While the film feels similar to what Richie's done in the past, Jim, I want to ask you, do you see any new steps taken in what Richie's offering this time around? I almost feel like uh, doing this kind of movie is like touching base for him. 
You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we start with, like you said, Lock, Stock, and Snatch, and then he tries some other movies, but then he comes back and does Rock and Roller. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he's going off to try some other, you know, movies, and now he's coming back to do the, yeah, the gentleman. I think it's like the, the genre and the kind of storytelling he's very, you know, uh, comfortable in, you know. And I think very much the Matthew McConaughey's character is kind of the way he's himself, you know. The, the guy who's been on the top of his game for a while, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. some, some people might think he's a little past it, but he knows he's not, you know, it's, it's not hard to make that comparison there. But, um, I just, it felt like, uh, like I said, him touching base. It's like, it felt like him, like when you put on your favorite pair of jeans and a shirt and you feel the most comfortable in it, I feel like that's one of his most comfortable suits, as it were. <laughs> Uh, to, for him to wear, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, along with the comfort, what, did you did you like the movie overall? Oh yeah, I did. I did very much. Um, I, I loved how I loved that Hugh Grant is like the spine of the story. Um, you know, the unre- unreliable narration or whatever. I mean, what did not expect that performance at all from him. But yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was it was you know well executed. I thought it was well you know well written. I I, I enjoyed it. I, I like the film quite a bit, too. I agree with you as far as seeing Hugh Grant in a role like this. The movie basically opens with him and Charlie Hunnam in in Hunnam's home. Like Hugh Grant plays like a private investigator, and he's broken into his house, and he's like, I want to tell you a story. And he lays out like this elaborate tale that basically makes up a majority of the film, where we learn about the various characters played by McConaughey and Henry Golding and Jeremy Strong and whatnot. And, you know, it... It was curious to see like how Richie would put this all together because we've you know we've seen his other gangster movies and here he is coming back to it and you know something you're mentioning of like McConaughey's character where it's like you know whether or not he's at the top of his game it feels like it, 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 it's same with Richie and it feels like the movie's very self-reflexive in that way as far as you're watching a director basically poke I don't know about fun but certainly like there's a there's a meta commentary about his own position in you know the realm of filmmaking in Hollywood where he's you know been in this kind of other realm for a while doing these giant movies and some have been hits and some haven't been. And like now we're examining his own kind of strength as far as a kind of, as a, as a filmmaker who can do the things that he wants to do versus the things that, you know, he knows will be make him a success. And I find that to be interesting. Uh, it, it felt not unlike something like chef with uh, John Favreau who like, you know, came off a couple of Iron Man movies and Cowboys and aliens only to do something much more smaller and personal but that film was also very much commenting on the fact that there's, there was a chef who was on top of the world doing certain things, but he also wanted to do something personal again. So it's it's neat to see these these filmmakers right. like go back to the well to an extent, but also just kind of recharge the engines. And I but I liked what I saw. I uh, I thought, you know, after doing Aladdin, I was very curious if like. And, you know, Aladdin was just like, that was the end of his whole, like, PG-13 2010s era, basically, where he was doing all of these, like, franchise movies. <clears throat> I was curious if doing an R-rated gangster movie again would be, like, Richie's going to be out of his, you know, out of control and really throw it in. Like, this, like, uh, like Sam Raimi coming off of the Spider-Man movies and doing Drag Me to Hell. Like, if he was going to, like, just really, really let things loose. But I think it's a fairly, like, contained movie. Like, it has his little embellishments or what have you, but, like, it's still very, it has a, it has a focus. It it has a it has a kind of a, a way it wants to do things. It's not as mm-hmm. you know wild as something like I like I think snatches where there's a lot more. I don't want to say energy, but there's a lot more. I don't know a different kind of momentum. Do you, do you think what you're like, saying? I, I get what you're saying. It's like it's more controlled with uh-huh. this. It's like it's definitely, you know, the like you said the the 
I, w- I would um, kinetic, I guess, would be a good word. The earlier movies, kinetic with the camera work and like the zoom ins and, mm-hmm. and things like that. There's some of that here, but most of it is just he's very conscious about where the camera is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the way he's sweeping. Um, there's one scene in particular where it's it turns out to be not what you think it is. Yeah. Uh, you see the scene at one point, and then you see it again later in the movie, and it's from a different perspective. Um, but it's, it's just, it seemed very deliberate. You know what I mean? It seemed like a very Guy Ritchie, Guy Ritchie movie. It seemed like this is absolutely the movie he wanted to make. Um, you know, the locations were great um, for, for you know, the different setups and everything. And um, I, just, I, I, I again, I, I just really enjoyed it overall. It was, it wasn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect it to be, you know, a great earth shattering blockbuster. Uh, but I did, I was really entertained and the writing was sharp and, uh, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I, I, I enjoy these kind of movies in general from him though. So I, yeah, I do too. I'm a big fan of lock, stock and snatch and Abe and I are huge fans of rock and roll. Uh, I, I like, I say that a lot, even though like snatch, I think snatch and locks are like favorite movies of mine, but like rock and roll, I just really like it a lot. And I like, I like yeah. championing it, but just cause it's really enjoyable. I, I watched it and snatched this in the past two weeks both because I haven't seen them in a while, and because yeah, I'm seeing a new Guy Ritchie movie, might as well watch some of his other gangster movies again. And they both they're both still really enjoyable. Snatch, I haven't watched Snatch in a number of years now, so watching that, I think like, this movie just fires in all cylinders. Like it really just yeah. gets going. And that's the thing about the gentleman. I think it kind of takes its time for you to kind of get in the rhythm of the movie, based off the kind of the story framing that's going on mm-hmm. here. Like as opposed to you know just setting you off right away with whatever the plot is involving McConaughey's drug dealings and what have you. You have to kind of get into the rhythm, like with with um, Hugh Grant and Charlie Hunnam going back and forth and slowly figuring out who which character is which and what their kind of objective is. It doesn't make it bad necessarily, but there's a for a director who I know for being so like you mentioned kinetic with his visuals and directorial style. It felt like okay, we're like we're we're not pumping the brakes, but we're kind of easing on the accelerator before we really get you know before the film really starts to cook. A lot of metaphors in this, but, but I'm going for it. Yeah, he's getting into he's getting into his Ridley Scott third act of his life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, great cast um, here. You mentioned Hugh oh, Grant. Oh, absolutely. Um, he, and it's great. Kind of, the blackmailing that he does is great in this. I, I just love it. It's just he's just very coy and kind of cheeky, and um, it's very really, well played. Really and, leaning yeah. into the. Practically gay, stere- gay stereotypes in here in terms of his innuendo, he keeps launching it at Charlie Hunnam's character. But yeah, he is like this oily guy who's like really yeah. having a like hit Grant as this character is having a ball, and it, it's a neat thing that you mentioned this. Like you haven't, I don't think we've seen him like really like this before. Like so, it's I, it's I fun. I cannot think of another movie where he did a performance near this. But... Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's fun in this. Uh, let's see who else we have. Yeah, Charlie Hunnam, um, who again, when he's British, I think he's very good in movies. Like I think I think he does. <laughs> he is good in this. He's got a certain like understated thing going on in this that is very good. It's just like the he's he plays kind of the consigliere to McConaughey's uh, Godfather as yeah, it he's were. The, he's the Tom Hagen of the film. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. What what do you think of McConaughey? I think he. I, I I think he he's he's very relaxed in the, which I guess makes sense he's a big time weed dealer so it's not too surprising yeah. I suppose. I liked him I liked him in the role and I liked his chemistry uh, with uh, Michelle Dockery uh-huh. the, the scenes they had together 
I, I really like could feel their their chemistry together and the scenes he has with Hanum are great i mean they just have that you can tell they work together on it they have that kind of body language that people who've known each other for a long long time have mm-hmm. um where there's kind of like you know the the guard is a little bit left down you know what i mean a little bit let down amongst the you know the two of them um i'm thinking of the scene where dry are um where Dry Eye makes his first appearance. Yeah, Henry Golding's character. Yeah. Henry Golding's character. Oh, by the way, Kevin Feige, there's your Namor, okay? Oh, he'd be a great Namor. That's a great Wouldn't yeah. he be a great Namor? Yeah, yeah. you're right, yeah. Uh, I'll take my million dollars now. Thank you, Disney. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, especially that scene, there's just, like, some really good, like, uh, like tacit stuff, body language between the two actors that I noticed in that scene. Yeah, I just, um, I thought he was great in it. Um, um, Colin Farrell like steals pretty much every scene he's in in this movie for yeah. me anyway. Honestly, this does not. This, does, it doesn't surprise me. Like walking into this, I'm like I'm probably gonna like Colin Farrell the most. And yes, he is great. Like he gets to be. He has a lot, a lot of he's fun in this. Great. The character he plays is just excellent. His, um, just, the, what I you know part of this movie, something I kind of thought about after the fact is like it feels like Guy Ritchie wrote like a lot of great scenes for individual characters and just kind of put them together because you have like. Mm-hmm. You have a standout scene for like McConaughey to like deliver a big monologue. You have a big one with Charlie Hunnam where he walks into these, to the, this like drug den essentially to lecture these characters so he can get one person out of it. And you have Colin Farrell's basically his introduction scene where he's like, basically like tr- there's some rude people in near where he is and he challenges them to a fight, but like a proper fight. <laughs> and it's right. It's very funny. <laughs> And again, he gets to be Irish. He gets to be in his natural like accent, and it just—I feel mm. like that allows him and like Hunnam to like improvise in the right sort of ways. Like they get to do like they get to play with the characters more. And it feels like they're all very like, regardless of how well developed each of these characters are, they all feel like they feel lived in. I guess is the best way to put it. Yes, that's a good way. That is a good way to put it. They do feel lived in. They feel like comfortable with each other and in their own skin and where they are. Um, but yeah, I just uh, I, I again, I thought it was a strong movie. Um, you know, it's not, not earth shattering or whatever, but I thought it was really, you know, the, for what it was, it was well done. The title is very apt, calling it the gentleman. There's a lot of like, not just like in the terms of like British people being proper. There's a kind of the fact that they're all criminals and gangsters and what have you. Right. It doesn't get past them as far as how to be professionals about their business, where they're all t- treating each other a certain way, with a certain cadence, the class. Like I can't say it's it's not uh it's not deep in a thematic way when it comes to kind of taking on class based societies in the same way that we had last year with like us or Parasite, but in terms of how these people treat each other based off what level they're standing at as far as being a billionaire or being a you know a low level uh, gangster or what have you, they all address themselves in a you know, a certain manner that I thought was like I get why this movie's called The Gentleman. You have yeah. Colin Farrell for example. He has one scene where people he's involved with have done something and he needs to make amends for that. And instead of like, you know, being loud about it or, you know, causing trouble, he simply says, I accept responsibility for what my boys did and I'll do whatever I can to repay you on behalf of them. Like it's, there's like a weird sort of like respect thing going on throughout this movie that I, I thought was really interesting as well. I, the dealings too, between uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, Jeremy Strong's character too. I mean, as they're they're you know conducting their business as it were, 
um, very, like you said, gentlemanly. You know, they're they're walking in. They have people opening doors for them. They're wearing Savile Row suits and you know, discussing business when actually they're discussing Matthew McConaughey's giant, you know, drug network. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 aptly named. Um, um, it was great to start out the year. This is like one of the first, you know, quote unquote big movies I saw this year. So it was it was great to start off the year with this. Sure. Let's see. I was trying to think about the things I wanted to make note of. Uh, a lot of, lot of. Uh, we mentioned the suits earlier and like how well dressed people are. This is a big like hats and mustaches movie too. Like there's a lot of people like wear uh-huh. like, you know, like glasses or hats or they have like various amounts of facial hair. It seems like like there's there's a lot of dress up going on in this movie, which yeah. I thought was pretty funny. Charlie Hunnam, Charlie Hunnam, when he was grilling that steak, I thought it was going to burn that beard right off. Uh, <laughs> it was so big and bushy. But yeah, definitely, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Tonsil, tonsillary uh, uh, charm to go around in this. Sure. Um, people are people are looking sharp in this, and you know, it's a sharp, sharp dialogue, sharp suits. You know, the action when it happens is is like quick and crisp and and kind of humorous usually. The dialogue. In its own way. The di- he's got oh, he's, he's got his word, he's got his wordplay thing going on where there's a lot of. And I was watching Snatch again, too, where it's a highlight of that movie as far as how they kind of analyze what they're saying to each other. There's a lot of, like, semantic looks at it, like the phrasing right. of things. There's a lot of that here, which I really like. I think I think that's something Richie does well with his gangster movies in general. It's uh, not too dissimilar for something like Knives Out, where Ryan Johnson's kind of dismantling the the genre while still playing into it. He's doing that here, where like there's gangster stuff happening, but he's still kind of taking apart the things that make it up, whether it comes down to like the machismo involved or various other things, you know, that kind of go with the genre. He's having fun with it. Like it's not an out and out comedy necessarily, but there's still like ways to explore what this genre does, uh, which is always, you know, I think that's interesting. Yeah. And then you see the two different takes of um, Henry Golding's character and uh, Jeremy Strong's character have on trying to take over what Matthew McConaughey has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That approaches, you know, coming at him, and the two, the ways, he, the way he del, uh, deals with each of them, uh, in turn, uh, is is great. It just was well structured. I thought it was well written. So it didn't surprise me that Richie also wrote this. So I think Abe could speak more to this when he got here, but there, I can't. I can't not mention the fact uh, that you have you have Henry Golding's character, and you have, and he's part of you know this Asian group of gangsters. There is. There's a lot of reductive things going on, I think, on their part, as far as how Richie chooses to handle the Asian characters in this movie. And I, I can't say that I looked over it as far as he's just having fun, because it's it's there. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes about accents and things like that, which are... It feels dated in a weird way, where it's like, it's 2020, and it's like, you can't... I don't know how how easily it is for, for you know a white director to get away with that kind of thing at this point. And it's it's the only area where I was like, okay, I mean, <laughs> this, the most of this film it's not trying to be like specifically offensive, and I get that the characters are, you know, most of them are trafficking in crime and what have you. But it's like, all right, there's an added element here where now we're singling out you know various ethnicities. It's like, okay. <laughs> um. Okay, I see your point. Yeah. I just I thought. I thought Golding's performance is dry. I was pretty good, just as that, like, uh, I think Grant at one point describes him as a millennial firework. You know, I was, mm-hmm. 
It's just I thought that was an apt description. He plays. He plays how he played played the role very well. But yeah, I totally get what you were saying about that. In terms of what he's, it's more of what the, how the other characters are referencing to him and some of the other right, right. mobsters, where you know they're just they're pronouncing things a certain way to kind of get at them or what have you. And there's there's ways where that works, like Colin Farrell having fun with the the guy's name whose whose name is uh, Fahuk with a P with a yeah. H. And it's like, I see there, it's like, it's not like, I, you know, that's the wordplay thing where other areas it's like, it's leading specifically into stereotyping again. And it's just like, okay, <laughs> it's, it, it's the kind of thing that like keeps, it keeps it away from being at the level of like rock and roll. And some of the other ones are like, yeah, I really just like this all around. But it's just, it's an element that's there. And it's just, I wonder like, okay, Guy Ritchie. <laughs> it's, wait, yeah. What other, what other tactics could you choose to, to handle this in a better manner? Um, but uh, yeah, it doesn't hold it back from being a mostly very enjoyable movie. Did you did you like the um the script aspect of it? Like Hugh Grant's character presents a screenplay essentially of what he's telling to Charlie Hunnam's character. Right, which... it's a blackmail screenplay. It's like <laughs> like his whole his whole deal. Like and I I don't want to spoil anything. He comes in, he's like, "You're paying me X amount of dollars, and I'm going to tell you why." <laughs> and here it is, you know. And he puts yeah, he has like a screenplay written. Which ties in at the end of the movie in a funny way. I liked the unreliable narration of it, the way he was kind of the spine of the whole story, and kind of at points where the story would break, you'd be like, "I think this now," you know, and or but now we're getting to the good part, you know, or things like that. It was uh, it was uh, a good performance. It was good enough to kind of carry those transitions through as he's telling the story. You know what I mean? Uh huh. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of it very much. It kind of it helped. The, the story along at points where there were normally would just have been regular transitions, you know, there are these little like um, um, taunting, uh, you know, you know, him calling Charlie Holmes character darling and stuff and having to make a mistake and, and you know, like all this uh, things that he's doing to get under his skin. Right. Um, it, it was a cool little like aside and then back to the main story. And then um, I like, I like the structure. I, I, I thought that worked. Yeah. The, the kind of meta, I mean, in addition to kind of being self-reflexive about Richie's own career, the self, the, the like the meta commentary going on about movie making, and how that kind of plays into where the film goes. I, yeah, I did think that was, it was clever enough. It was clever enough as far as like, okay, he's, there, there's a new way he's trying to tackle this kind of genre. It doesn't just feel like he's doing another snatch necessarily. He's doing a gangster movie that has like some other ideas to go along with it, and it um. It reminded me of Seven Psychopaths, honestly. That's a, which would be oh. I'm, a, I'm a really big fan of as well. But that's another that's movie. A good movie. It's, it's really analyzing like what a movie is to begin with within the realm of a movie. And uh, I, any movie that can remind me of Seven Psychopaths is good in my book because I really like Seven Psychopaths a lot. Like, yeah. What is there anything else? Any any other yeah. thoughts on the on the gentleman in general? I'm afraid not. Right. So uh, well, it's all I've got. When should people go and see this movie? I'd say in a weekday when you get the cheaper rate. Mm-hmm. At least I do anyway. I have the uh, AMC Perks card or whatever. I get a few free movies every month and then discounts the rest of the time. But I'd say it'd be a good, uh, like before or after a meal, you know, a good date night movie if they like this kind of thing. All right. I hear you. Yeah. I'd say it's a solid matinee. I, I could agree. I, I I think there's fun to be had if you see this with an audience for sure i think the kind of the the general joy you get from kind of all acknowledging the, the humor that's coming out of this or whatnot and getting on a big screen i think it's worthwhile um if you're if you're a richie if you're a fan of richie's gangster films in particular i think there's you know there's plenty to enjoy here so yeah well, sounds like we both like this movie 
I, I wish I could have heard what he had to say about because I thought he was going to be here by now. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But, um, what about all right. Me? Yeah. All right. Let's, um, well, that was the gentleman. Let's, uh, let's move on now. Let's get to our, uh, let's get to, uh, let's get to, let's get to our, uh, our game. Oh boy. I know it was. It's deeply compelling. Uh, I get, I get, I, I get surprised by every time. <laughs> <laughs> every time I forget. Every time I'm like, oh my, oh right, I remember now. Okay, Jim, I have a game for you, which you're you're gonna win <laughs> because you're the only one here to play the game. Yeah. I'm fortunate because I thought this was a pretty good game, but it is, it is called Richie Rich. Oh. This is a film. This is a game where I'm going to name um, directors who have all been, who've all directed gangster movies, and I want you to identify what their highest-grossing film at the worldwide is that they've ever made, not just gangster. Oh wow! Movies, yeah. So. Okay. And for fun, I also have. The I'm gonna game. lose. I will lose at this game, even if I'm the only one here. So. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. All right. But, all right, all right. As as a bit of fun, I also have their lowest-grossing film that you can also guess as well. That's not oh, necessary okay. to get a point, but I just thought it'd be fun to add that in there. Uh, okay. So here we go. Richie Rich. First one, Guy Ritchie. What is Guy Ritchie's highest grossing film at the worldwide box office? It's got to be Aladdin. It is Aladdin. $1.05 billion. Yeah. What do you think his lowest grossing film is? Uh, swept Away. It is Swept Away. Is it really? 600 k Oh, my K. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I'm you're most... crushing this. You're already crushing right. this. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of myself on that. Okay. Take that, Abe. <laughs> Take that, Abe. Here's wow. the next one. Martin Scorsese. Okay, uh, highest grossing. Highest grossing worldwide. Mm, I'm gonna. I guess the obvious choice would be Goodfellas, but I'm gonna say Casino. No. Yeah. Nope. It's uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Is the oh yeah oh, okay. Yeah, I should have thought of that. All right. I, I, and I'm not, I'm not a counting. I, I know Lois Grossing. What's who's, that knocking, who's that knocking at my door? That probably is it, because there's just no record at that point. Like Exactly. Yeah, based off the <laughs> based off the numbers.com, it's Mean Streets, but that's only because there's just no reporting on the box office at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Next one. Francis Ford Coppola. <sighs> It would have to be Godfather, right? It is the first Godfather. That is correct. Okay, right. Like even without inflation, it made a, a giant chunk of money. Oh yeah, it, it did it was, great. It, was it, huge, yeah. it 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 partially saved Hollywood. Like that's how much of a success it was. <laughs> but, um, by chance, you know his lowest grossing film? I'll give you a hint. A lot because a lot of these are either their later films or their earliest films. What what do you think his lowest grossing movie is? I want to guess one from the heart, but that's probably not right. It's low. <laughs> it's low on the list. Yeah. I bet it is. I bet it is. That movie bombed with a capital bah. Jeez uh, Louise. I, I don't, I, one from the heart is on. It's up. fine. It's uh, Tetro, the film featuring Alden Ehrenreich, young, young Han Solo, um, where, I, where, oh. I first saw, where I first saw him. Um, I was surprised because I thought it'd be Twixt, that movie, that that crazy movie with Val Kilmer about like vampires and shit. Um, oh, but, I forgot about that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but it that made like 1.7 million dollars, where Tektra only made 518k. So didn't buy many new, didn't buy too many new vineyards with that film. But uh, <laughs> next one, Brian De Palma. 
Untouchables. It's in the top three. Mission Impossible is his highest oh, film. Oh, of course. Yeah. What an got, idiot I am. That, got that cruise money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sisters? Uh, sisters actually did... Oh, not okay, but I think it's... It's low. It's not the lowest. And again, I mean, it could be some of these ones that just were before there were box office records. But Passion is currently like his Passion. latest film is currently marked as uh, lowest gross. Yeah, movie. I was just trying. I was going to the earliest movie diploma movie I could think of off the top yeah. of my head. So. No, that's fair. It's a good choice. Quentin Tarantino. Mm. What's the current time in Hollywood? No, it's Django. Django and Jane. Oh, really? Django yep. made more money. Oh. Uh-huh. For, uh, 450 million worldwide oh wow i thought i thought once upon a time it made more than that mm. once upon a time i think it's like at three i want to say 380 maybe most i might be overshooting that it's in the th- it's in 300 somewhere okay. uh, what's his lowest grossing hmm he directed I'm get, I guess Reservoir Dogs, right? It's Reservoir Dogs, yeah. It's like, yeah. There's, there's no there's no trick there. It's Reservoir Dogs. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the, see that's one of those um what I call you know uh, uh VHS hit movies. It's like it was it did nothing like Shawshank Redemption or you know a lot of movies they did like nothing in the theater but everybody saw them on VHS or sure. at home so yeah. The Cohen Brothers. Ooh. Oh brother. It's not O Brother. No. It's uh, True Grit. True Grit is the biggest film. Really? Yeah. Wow. You got that. That was. It's the combination of things. You got Bridges coming off an Oscar win, so he's yeah. at his height. You have Matt Damon, and you have Josh yeah. Brolin, and it's a western, like a it's like a pot, the... like a western, like a, a remake western, and it's like them yeah. at the top, the height of their powers. Like so. Oh, totally. I get it. I just uh, I didn't realize it made that much money. That's awesome. Yeah, two fifty-two million. So yeah. yeah. For them, that's pretty high. Uh, Blood Simple. It's Blood Simple. Yeah. There's no... <laughs> no, I, I love that movie so much, though. Oh, it's great. It's terrific. <laughs> I love that movie so much. That was one of the movies that's like, wow, I really want to get into watching movies now because it's sure. really, really good. <laughs> uh, Michael Mann. Okay. Oh, wait, no. There, oh. There's something like, I'm just going to hit my head because it's so obvious. I'm going to. I'm going to say Heat, but I know that's not right. It's not Heat. It's Collateral. Again, that Cruise well, money. I was, yeah, <laughs> that no, Tom but, Cruise money. He's bringing it in. <laughs> yeah. Hit myself in the head right now. Yeah. I should have known. What, what oh, do you think of the I know. It can't be Thief. Um, she was. I, I have no idea. Miami Vice. <laughs> Well, Miami Vice made money. I mean, it, it didn't do well. It didn't do great, but it made money. Um, it's his second movie, The Keep. The Keep is his lowest. Movie. Oh, The Keep, right? Yeah, Thief actually did pretty good. I mean, it's still one of his lower, but I mean, given budget and when it came out, like it makes sense. The Keep was a the giant keep. thing. What else? The Keep is a deeply, deeply strange movie too. It Have is. You seen that? Yeah. It's a yes. It's 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 a movie. <laughs> Yes, it, it was a movie, absolutely. Uh, also very low on the list, Black Hat, his last movie with uh, Chris Hemsworth. That movie did, oh, like, I forgot that movie did about terrible, that. like it because it, it cost a hundred million dollars. It made twenty worldwide. Mm. <laughs> like, it's, we call it's, that the, we call that the Doolittle syndrome now. That's yeah, <laughs> it did little. That's what it did at the box office. Yes. Oh, the headlines write themselves. Next we have. <laughs> 
Robert Rodriguez. Oh, hmm. Uh, no, I I want to say Grindhouse, but that can't be right. Uh, Dust Till Dawn? Nope, it's Alita. Alita Battle Angel. No way. Yeah, it made uh, wow. 400 million all around the world. It, it did. Great. I had no, wow, <laughs> I had no idea it made that much. That's great. I'm so glad it did. I was yeah. so worried. Cameron, don't yeah, James Cameron knows what he's doing. He'll get that movie out there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. We'll see what's that Avatar 2. Uh, El Mariachi. Whatever. Yeah, it's El Mariachi. Yeah. <laughs> it's a two million. I'm, yeah, I'm getting the lowest one every time. Yeah, you're actually yeah, nailing yeah. the lowest ones pretty well. Uh, nailing those. Here's a fun one. Takashi Miike. Oh, man. I'll give you the here's a hint. It's one of his more well-known films, I would say, as far as if you asked like a random, not a random, if you asked a person like, what's a Takashi Miike movie? Like, it's, it's, it's not an obscure one. Or at least for American audiences. Okay. Uh, I want to say um, I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna get it right. Uh, detective story. I don't no, know. Thirteen assassins. Thirteen assassins. Yeah. His job. Uh, dead or alive is the lowest grossing one. That'd be just too much. Is that the <laughs> one that's, uh, wait a minute. Is that the one that's based on the fighting franchise? Uh, video game franchise? Yeah. I wish. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> a different Dead or Alive. Fair enough. I just threw this one out because I thought it would be fun. But John Huston, because he's done a couple gangster movies. Yeah, yeah, he did. Highest grossing. That's tough. That he directed. Yeah. I actually, I have, I also have what he acted in, what his highest grossing film is. I thought that'd be a fun bonus as well. Wow. Well, uh-huh. Look at you. Is it uh, African Queen? It's not African Queen. Um, Annie is his highest grossing film. Wow. Okay. His, his adaptation of Annie. Um, the, his lowest is his last film, The Dead. Um, right. I think it was like 80, late 80s before he died. So it was really great. To see. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go. I was just gonna say he. It was really cool to see him in the other side of the wind. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Sad. Like sad. So that footage of him, like, still kind of like, and playing that kind of like lionized uh, character in the center of the storm. You know, it was mm-hmm. great. For sure. His um his highest grossing film as an actor, Casino Royale, which he also directed. The original Casino Royale. Oh, the Woody Allen one. Yeah, the, the, the one that's like, hey, there's a funny bit in here, and it's not a good movie, and anyone that says otherwise is wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> God, I remember uh, watching it like, I'm not a huge Bond person, though, so. Last one, uh, Tony Scott. Tony. There's a running theme here on which movies are the highest for people. If you can think of that, you'll have the answer. Oh, jeez. Ah. I just I'm trying to not second guess myself, you know. Uh, Crimson Tide. Top Gun. Cruise. Top Gun. Cruise bringing that money. I'm telling you. Yeah, it <laughs> was the same with Cruise. You're right. You're right. Oh well. Uh, the uh, I'd say Out of the Furnace. <laughs> no. It's posthumous release, so. Uh, maybe the think fan. It, think it, it's not the fan. It's the maybe hunger. Lost. It's the hunger. Really? Yeah. I love I love The Hunger. That's a good movie, man. Yep, but it's as low as gross. Is... With inflation, it's probably yeah. better than some of his other movies. Four million in the seventies. Yeah. That's it's, not that's not bad. It's a <laughs> solid vampire flick right there. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that was Richie Rich. And Jim, you did a pretty good job, I would say. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate compete, it. Competing against yourself and using, and you got a lot of the, the lowest grossing ones, which I think was the harder thing to think about. But, uh, yeah. All right. I do what I can. Now let's do a little uh, out now feedback, 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 where we go over some of the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners. They gave its answers, and uh, then they gave us a question that we'll have to answer. But uh, let's do this. Jim, feel free to jump in with any answers you may have. I think you you, you threw in some on the Facebook page. but yeah. We'll, we'll, oh, whoops. We'll we'll sorry about that. No, you're all good. <laughs> like you're just, that just means you're prepared. Um, I'm, I'm willing to ask myself the tough questions. <laughs> all right. Let's see. First question we have here. Who is your favorite Guy Ritchie gangster or criminal character? Michael Lee, friend of the show, has Bricktop from Snatch. Uh, Chris writes, was going to say Bricktop, but I'll also add Mickey O'Neill tyrone johnny quid and any of jason statham's characters what's your favorite gangster or criminal character from a guy Ritchie movie jeez i don't know it's, it's tough to choose and uh i don't know i guess i'll just go with jason statham in uh in Lockstock, man bacon yeah <laughs> i uh, big chris you know big chris i was gonna say vinnie jones, Vinny is, jones he's a lot of pretty fun. great but you know yeah. what Dennis Farina kills me in Snatch. I think he's so funny. Yeah, yeah. He's so like frustrated, but he like he has these great like bits because he's he's interacting with a lot of the characters. He's he's a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Next question we have here. What's your favorite Matthew McConaughey performance? April writes True Detective, his True Detective performance. Chris writes uh, Dallas Buyers Club, Dazed and Confused in Mud. Sarah writes Magic Mike, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past and Sahara. Uh, Justin writes all that is listed so far. Also, a time to kill, fool's gold, and reign of fire. Jay, friend of the show, writes Interstellar. Joseph, friend of the show, he has True Detective, and nothing else comes remotely close. It's my favorite television performance of the 2010s. And Jim, you, yeah, you, you put Days and Confused. I did, I did. Sorry. What is it? I love that performance. I, you know, True, True Detective is great as well. Um, uh. Uh, Interstellar, I, I, it's a, it's a Nolan film, so obviously it's good. I mean, I, he's good in it. Uh, I watched Serenity lately, uh, the one movie he made with um, Van uh, Hathaway. Was Anne Hathaway last year? And uh, wow, did you see that? Did you see the ending of that? It, it's in it, particular. It, it um, that, <laughs> him it, the, the Jeremy Strong uh, reunion that he had this year. I mean, it was no match. Yeah, yeah. Serenity. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Killer Joe. Uh, Killer, oh, Killer, yeah. Killer Joe. It's uh, he's he's playing against type in that one for sure. <laughs> it's uh, it's good. That was in that that was in that run from like Lincoln Lawyer to, I to I guess Wolf of Wall Street. Like he had, where he was just like doing everything. Like it, it was that reconnaissance that we were I was talking about. He was like doing just reconnaissance. Yeah. Nice. Is that yours? No. no <laughs> I cannot take credit for that. Okay, I see. Yeah, well, yeah, if, you, if you had come up with that, I wanted to you know, pass it along to the rest of the world so you get credit where it was due. You know? it, it's been heard. It's it's not mine. But he had a run going there, though, before he, when he, till he won his Oscar. Um, let's see, next question. What are some memorable deaths in gangster movies? Uh, Justin <laughs> writes, basically the end of every one, but that one in The Irishman when he kills Hoffa was pretty brutal. Um, spoilers, Jimmy Hoffa died in real life. Uh, what? <laughs> did he? I know, right? But I thought they never found the body. I, I thought there was hope, right? Oh, he might be on that island of Tupac. Um, 
Let's see. Jeff writes, Boondock Saints, where the where the cat gets killed. Get a gift <laughs> of that. Let's see. Uh, Jeffrey writes, uh, Fredo and Godfather 2. Tommy and Goodfellas and the entire final act of The Departed. Scott writes, The Ear Cut Off and Shooting in Reservoir Dogs. Todd mm-hmm. writes, uh, Fredo and Godfather as well. Al Capone taking batting practice in The Untouchables. And uh, Chris has True Romance, Clifford Worley's death. So Dennis Hopper's scene. That big scene in the movie. Any other memorable gangster deaths you can think of? I, I, I know I just mentioned, but Black Caesar, when he was shot in the street, uh, oh, yeah. still fresh in my mind after just watching it. Um, I mean, Sonny Corleone, obviously, at the, uh, um, you know, the toll booth. At the toll booth. Yeah, that's, a, that's always a classic, right? Uh, and the end of uh, Bonnie and Clyde, you know. I'll throw um, in. A, I just I just re- I just rewatched that recently, and that is that is a movie that holds up really well. Oh, it's terrific! Yeah, be yeah, sure to uh, Walter Penn, Arthur Penn. Yeah. Be sure to uh, throw on our uh, out now commentary track for Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> but, um, I, I, I just found the VHS, so now I have another excuse to watch it. So. There you go. Uh, um, what's it? Um, the the assassination Robert De Niro pulls off in Godfather Two, where he's going over the rooftops and everything. He puts the towel on the gun and shoots the shoots the. Uh, the big guy that's a that's a great one i had just had another one too anyway uh let's see next question who are some memorably sleazy photographers or press characters in movies this is reference to hugh grant's character and uh the gentleman scott writes burt lancaster and the sweet smell of success that's a great answer mm-hmm. um justin writes nightcrawler uh of course the x-men the famous uh, photographer no the uh, jake gyllenhaal yeah of course it was the x-men <laughs> yeah because he can teleport, so he can get himself into neat places and take photographs. Right. Yeah, he's better than Spider-Man. <laughs> so, um, let's see, Jim, you have uh, Danny DeVito in L.A. Confidential. Keep everything very hush hush. On the QT. <laughs> uh, let's see, Todd has J. Jonah Jameson. Hmm. Christopher has Stephen Lang in Manhunter. Anthony Perkins in Mahogany. Kelsey Grammer in 15 Minutes. And Jonathan Price in, jo- in Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, what an yeah. eclectic set of answers that is. That's a, yeah. that's, a good set of, that's a good set of characters. I totally forgot about Jonathan Price and Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> and uh, let's see, Chris has Kirk Douglas and Ace in the Hole, a fantastic performance, and Jake Gyllenhaal in uh, Nightcrawler. Yeah, I can't get past some of these. Are some great picks all around here. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I just just thinking about it makes me want to watch Nightcrawler again. That movie was intense. Yeah, it's fantastic. One of the best of the decade, some would say. <laughs> But, um, would they? Uh-huh. Who would say that? I, I I can't recall if it's in my top twenty or not right now, but it's uh, it's high. That's for sure. Uh, let's see. Favorite unhinged Nicolas Cage performances in reference to Color Out of Space. Scott has Face Off. Todd has Nothing Compares to His Performance in Deadfall. Justin has Leaving Las Vegas. Chris has Mom and Dad and Leaving Las Leaving Las Vegas. And uh, you, Jim, you put Drive Angry or The Wicker Man. Yeah, or I, I'd have to ask at face off when he's wearing the priest outfit too, or he's supposed to be his face on John Travolta's body at that point. I'm sorry, I always get confused at that plot point. But yeah, Drive Angry is a messed up movie. I don't know if anybody's if you've seen it. But... I've seen I've seen Drive Angry 3D in 3D. <laughs> wow. Well, now now I'm even more impressed with you as a human being. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Um, I don't know if it's his most un was well, most unhinged for me as maybe Vampire's Kiss, but oh yeah, yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Uh, but there's, it's not necessarily unhinged, but he has things that he has to do in it. But uh, Matchstick Man, which I'm a huge fan of, speaking of Ridley, Ridley, Ridley Scott, um, there's a point where, because he plays a character who's on medication, and there's a point where he needs new medication, and because he has like OC, he's like ter- crippling OCD and all kinds of things going on. And in his like quest to get more pills, he just starts like yelling at people in a pharmacy, a pharmacy at one point, and it's it's really funny. <laughs> but it's also just it's like well, a, a great level of cage rage just put into one sequence that I think really works. Well, I'm sitting here, I'm remembering his performance in Wild at Heart. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> back to Lynch, what we were talking about before, but yeah, I'd, I'd have to put that on the list as well, I think. And of course, the second half of Mandy. Yes. <laughs> also, that one shot with him smiling as he's driving away. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a great, great, great shot that is. Uh, let's see. Next question we have here. What are some great films about a mysterious arrival at a family home, supernatural or otherwise? Justin writes Starman and E.T. for sure. Chris writes Us. And you put here, you got a number, Funny Games, The Desperate Hours, From Dust Till Dawn, A Mobile Home, The Strangers, <laughs> and Parasite from one point of view. That, that, that is a great set of answers. The Desperate Hours. I haven't thought oh. about that in a while. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite Bogart performances. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I haven't thought about it forever. There are just a lot of movies with that premise, and just, you know, for some reason I thought of all this, but yeah. Um, Good movie. Funny Games is deeply disturbing. Um, yes, yes, it is. It's effective, but it's just, a, it, it ups- it's an upsetting movie, <laughs> which is by design. It's one of those movies you, you can watch once, and that's good. You don't have to watch it again. Yeah, and yet he's like, I'm just going to remake the movie for America, <laughs> so you have to watch it again. <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, um, okay. Let's see. Let's what we got one question this week. It's from Chris. He writes, "What's a film from last year that you love the that most people hate, and what's a film you hated that people love the most?" Hmm. I have some answers for this. So Jim, while you think about that, I, I got a, I got a few here. Um, as far as movies that I was a big fan of that people hated, uh, well, people were just wrong for Godzilla: King of the Monsters. Obviously, I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> Wait a minute, was that panned? Because that movie was awesome. It, it it was it didn't get the best reviews, and it you know it didn't it didn't do very well as far as box office concerns. That said, it's a Godzilla movie, which was pretty niche to begin with. But I mean, I great. feel like the, <laughs> speak. I mean, even as a understandably, I'm a Godzilla fan. You're a God, you're a kaiju fan as well, Jim. But it's like yes. I yes. I know what I wanted to get out of this, and I got that thing, and I think that thing was done pretty damn well. I the bar isn't very high to begin with, but at the same time, this is kind of the epitome of what you'd want in a Godzilla movie made in 2019. I mean, it does the job for me, so I was uh, I was I was very happy, as well as disappointed that there was not more embrace over how good that movie was. Um, and I don't know, I like 21 Bridges a lot. I thought, <laughs> I thought that was fun, and that seemed to go. Into it was, that people. was a decent movie. It was kind of a throwback. Yeah, it was a fun cop. Uh, it's like the 70s, 80s cop flicks we don't get anymore. You know. Yeah. I can think uh, of a couple that a lot of people liked that I just didn't care for. And uh, one, Aaron, you're probably going to like cut me off and edit this part of the podcast out. <laughs> but um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I just thought it was okay, but kind of rambling. And it just There was no menace or stakes, really, for me. I don't know. I, I'm going to come back to it again when I get a chance to watch it again. But um, a lot of people loved that movie, and uh, you know, I just didn't see it. I mean, I thought it was okay. I just didn't think it was as great. 
as a lot of other people did. Um, and uh, Rise of Skywalker, I can't stand it, and a lot of people are enjoying it. So good for you. Yeah, it's it's a bad movie. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't care. I have a lot of reasons why I don't like it, and uh, I can I'm keeping those to myself. But you know, I you like it, great. I don't like it. A lot of people did, but not me. So yeah, it's it was disappointing. Um, now mostly my problem though isn't movies that that I like that that other people think are terrible is Movies that I like, and other and I find other people have this problem too that I talk to you about it. The movies that you like, you're like, oh, you really need to see this. It's incredible, but you have 20 different people telling you that every day in Facebook and Twitter, you know, at, at your job. You know, there's so much content now. It's it's more of a problem of you know being someone to yeah. notice something that's really special and cool, rather and keeping up with all that kind of stuff than it is to you know see something and have everyone say, oh, that's terrible. And, and you know, for my example, it's something I thought was great that everyone thought was terrible. Last Jedi. I mean, there you go. But uh, I'm trying to think of one from I'm trying to think of one from last year that was like that. Uh, as far as ones that I did not like that people love, I mean, I don't know if loves there, but like, there's a lot of people that really like Bombshell, and I just think it's a really bad movie. Um, Child's Play got surprisingly strong reviews and i thought it was utter garbage so that was, that was mm. one that uh, stuck out for me yeah D- daryl didn't care for bombshell either so we just talked about that today on nothing's on mm-hmm. uh daryl taylor friend of the show daryl taylor uh, oh yeah but my, my co-host of my other podcast i'm sorry i should no I'm sure. he's been he's been on this show <laughs> he yes, talked yes. justice league with us um yes. but yeah um i don't know i, I didn't care for zombie land 2 that much and that that was decently liked and i was like well, you could have tried harder i didn't hate cats i don't think cats is good but i didn't hate it in the same way that people people seem to hate that movie where i'm just like yeah it's cats i don't know what else you expected from this <laughs> i don't know I have movies that were just like supposed to be bad that were very very bad that i enjoyed accounts but i don't think it does mm-hmm. like the velocipaster and uh you know, neil <laughs> green's last movie and uh Oh, a Velocipaster, Veloc- of course. I mean, yeah. It's on Amazon Prime right now, the Velocipaster. Yeah. It's a, a priest you can turn into a Velociraptor. It's the natural step. If you like that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for the question, Chris. And that's uh, that was that now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. All right, let's do a little Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, 4K, DVD, streaming, and all that this week. Uh, first up on uh, 4K, and feel free to give a yay or an eight through of these as I go through them. Uh, first up on 4 on Blu-ray this week, on you know, out on home media, we have Parasite. Oh, yay. I mean, come on. Really? Yeah, one of the best films. Is this, up for, is this up for debate? No. No, it's not. You're, you're just <laughs> wrong if you don't like I don't like. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Uh, Terminator, colon, Dark Fate. I haven't seen it. It's uh it's fine. Like it, Yeah, that's probably why I haven't seen it. it yeah, it, <laughs> it it's it's better than the last two Terminator movies cuz those are bad bad movies, especially Genesis. I was going to say that's a very low bar, but cool. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of Robert Robert Rodriguez or sorry, James Cameron produced efforts from last year, it's the second best, but I still I still enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see Harriet is out this week. The Harriet Tubman biopic with Cynthia Erivo. That was I, uh, a good movie. Really yeah, I thought it was good. I, I there's a there's a better movie out there, but the one that we got right now, I'm happy with. So sure. Uh, Motherless Brooklyn, Edward Norton's uh, directorial effort. 
I want to see it. I haven't yet. It's a, it's it's solid. I like this movie. Like as far as like a big swing for Edward Norton to like direct and produce and co-write and everything, like he adapted and everything and act in it. Like it's it's solid. It's got a good cast, good look. Like as far as a mo- for a movie that like most people are going to discover like renting, they're going to be satisfied. I think. Let's see. Um, let's see. On TV we have Ballers, the fifth and final season. He he did it. He got to the fifth and final season. Finally, finally the, the, the the balls will yeah. be free. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. All, uh, I know I, all I know is it's on HBO and it has to rock on it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. On Criterion this week, Failsafe and All About My Mother. Failsafe terrified me when I first saw the movie. <laughs> like it's, it's, not, it's not a horror movie, but just a movie about like... <laughs> Uh, a nuclear like it's the the the, uh, the dramatic version of dr strange love i was I gonna ask you what which did you see first did you I, see I, saw, I saw first? Dr. i saw love first but i saw okay. Safe, and i was like i i get that this movie exists and it's like it's doing similar things but in a you know a serious way but i still found it terrifying <laughs> like just watching it's like what if this happened um but it's it's a great movie the only other time i the only other time I can remember seeing like a serious version of a movie that like that, you know, other than like the obvious like airport airplane or whatever, uh-huh. it was a stealth thing for me. I was watching, I was going through this DVD set of Frank, old Frankenstein films, and the Basil Rathbone movie, Son of Frankenstein, oh, is is young Frankenstein, plot beat for plot beat, like yeah. almost line for line in some places. It's it's hilarious. It's great. But uh, yeah, failsafe. I should really revisit that. I um. There was that whole like uh, subgenre there of uh, nuclear terror movies, yeah, like, like threads and seconds and uh, so the day after special bulletin. Seconds is a great one too. Uh, yeah, 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 but yeah. That and all about my mother from Almodovar on Criterion this week. So a good set of films. Um, let's see from Shout Factory. Got a few things. Let's scare Jessica to death. That's on a uh, on Blu-ray now. Um, Body parts with Jeff Fahey. <laughs> Sure. And uh, Very Bad Things, a movie I know a lot of people are, are fans of that I really dislike. <laughs> but, um, yeah, those are out now. See it. And uh, let's see, new to streaming this week. On Netflix, we have, uh, let's see, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Part 3. Her fantasy yes. Sabrina series. Yes, I'm very happy. And there's a, a new docuseries out that actually sounded pretty interesting called Pandemic, colon, How to Prevent an Outbreak. And I think it's like a it's like a six part docu series that like goes over various parts of the world that had to deal with outbreaks of viruses. It, it sounds terrifying, but also uh, fascinating. <laughs> I want to I want to my friend Dubraska is watching it. We just watched this and she said it should be called Pandemic: How to Scare Yourself That Your Sniffles Are Going to Kill You in 24 Hours. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, Oh, my arm kind of hurts. Oh my God, it's the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it's very scary stuff if you're not ready for it, I guess. See that? See, Anna and I prepared prepared because we play the game Pandemic, so we know what to do. Oh, you know what, exactly what to do. Exactly. Good for you. Yeah, we get the right, you know, we get the right jobs and everything, and stop the virus. Preparation. Yeah. Uh, on Prime this week, nothing super new, but I didn't. I did notice that Cube and Cube Two colon Hypercube and Cube Zero are now on Prime, so you can watch the Cube trilogy. Also, uh, Midsummer just dropped. Yeah, that came, that came out. Uh, if, yeah, I think it was last week or something. So yeah. if you didn't get a chance to see that, that's there. Um, I know the lighthouse is available for rental now. A lot of people I know, I didn't get to see it until I rented it uh, at home on pay per view. So. 
Oh yeah, they are uh, A two four films are always gonna wind up on a uh, Prime eventually. Yep. Anyway, so yeah, good to uh, good to keep looking out for those. Uh, let's see. Hold on a second, <laughs> guys. Hi. Uh, here. Where where did you guys leave off? You're just in time because we're at when we're gonna do for next week's show. Theme. Hey, all right. <laughs> you made it. You made it. Made it. The uh, the answer to that question is I'm not quite sure yet. I think we're going to try to get someone on, some people on that have been to Sundance Film Festival and do a little Sundance bonus episode, which should be fun in itself. Um, so yeah, we'll see where things go from there. Uh, before we get to the very last segment, Abe, did you, you did you have any thoughts, that, brief thoughts you wanted to share on the gentleman before we wrap everything up? I'm sure that you guys probably would have covered this too. I think the brief thoughts are I'm glad that Guy Ritchie is kind of doing like these English London gangster movies again. But at the same time, it felt a little bit helter skelter um, at times. I think that there was like some narrative um, roundabouts, and I like the way that he was trying to introduce you to this, I guess, meta script within a script type thing. But also, I think it is 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 a little disservice to the way that the the plot could be a little more cohesive. All in all, I think there was like some good performances from the folks, um, including my boy Henry Golding, who is fast becoming one of my my favorites uh, of uh, of the last like year and a half, but in all, it, it's not a terrible mess, but it's also not very uh, great. So I would land on it as like probably like an HBO Netflix type thing. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for getting those two cents in there. <laughs> last thing we do now, what should people go and see right now? What do you plan to see next, Jim? What should people see in theaters right now? I'd say I'd go see 1917 on the biggest screen you can find. Yeah. All right. That'd be my advice. What are you seeing next? Mm, I'm probably my wife and I are watching, rewatching, or I'm rewatching. She's watching for the first time, The Expanse. Uh, oh. So, uh, so we're in the middle of the second season of that. I've seen it already, but she's now getting caught up, and I'm catching up along with her. And she, we're trying to watch The Mandalorian together, but she still isn't really sold on it after the third episode. So. <laughs> hey, at least she gave three episodes a try, though. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. yeah. She got to. Yeah, she got to some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's probably what I'll be watching next is uh, The Expanse with her tomorrow night after Jeopardy. Cool. <laughs> Definitely Echo 1917. Go check that out. Um, if you haven't seen Little Woman as well, go check that out. Um, next. I'm not really sure. I mean, there's, like, some interesting things that are out, but nothing that really grabs me. Like, Rhythm Section and also Hounds on Gretel look like they have good trailers, but not as though I, I'm kind of just thinking that they're going to be okay movies. Yeah, uh, 1917, Uncut Gems, you know, if they're out there, because, I mean, anything that's up for an Oscar right now is generally at least very good, so you can't really go wrong. Um, I am excited for Gretel and Hansel, mainly because I like the director, Oz Perkins, who did The Black Coat's Daughter, mm-hmm. which I was a huge fan of, um, so I want to see what he can do into a, maybe a bigger budget or what have you. See if I, I want it to be good, but it's it's January, so I don't set my hopes too high. <laughs> I, do, I do know my kids are hyped for the Sonic movie, especially my son. Oh, so, wow. There you go. Yeah, yeah. so we're, we're gonna definitely be there opening night probably or that weekend. Very cool. I'm uh, I'm seeing a Romanian movie called The Whistlers this week, which is about a mm-hmm. it's a heist film where the characters use whistling as a tactic. Oh, I saw that trailer. Yeah, yeah, that looks great. Yeah, so I'm excited to see that one because that one looked really cool. And uh, with all that said, that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Out Now Theron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodezeke.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing at WeLiveEntertainment.com. We'll take a look out this week for um, I'll have my 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 um, my write-ups for the various short films that I was able to check out with Anna in the past cool. two weeks. And I'm also on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Hey, 
Find more fun stuff at my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash wallersmoose. Hashtag made it. <laughs> Jim Dietz, where can people find more of you online? Uh, you can follow all of my podcasting antics by following me on Twitter at Yoda Jones. Great. Uh, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now, Third Name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWOD. Email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And our Instagram page, instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. Jim, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Jim, thanks for holding down the fort. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. For sure. And until next week, uh, that's going to do it. So until then, so long. And goodbye. I've been thinking about what you have done to me. The damage is much deeper than you'll ever see. Hit me like a hammer to my head. One, two.